Thank you, Don. As Don just said, I'm a non-alcoholic. Uh, I've been involved with AA since the mid-70s. Uh, I um, got involved. I'm an, also an ordained Episcopal priest. Uh, so for, for Northern Ireland, I guess that's okay. Uh, the, uh, I uh, got involved with AA by, uh, because things were bad, things were happening to members of my congregation. Uh, I'm, before that, I was one of the better enablers because I'm a pretty skilled guy and I could help people feel good about not having to stop drinking. Um, but once I learned something about Alcoholics Anonymous and I, 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 uh, my whole ministry changed. Uh, and one of the things I discovered is probably 80% of the people that I deal with have alcoholism in the family system, pretty close usually. Uh, but I, I, uh, when I first got to this congregation, this was maybe the second month I was there. I got a call from a parishioner said, would you stop? This is a Saturday morning. said, would you stop by the jail and see my husband? Last night he got paid, went to a bar, spent his whole paycheck and ended up in a fight. And now he's in jail and I'm not speaking to him. Would you go talk to him? Uh, I had never had that before. Uh, and, uh, that opened my eyes that there were some problems going on and I had no idea what to do. I didn't know what to tell her. I didn't know what to tell him. I had no idea. I was absolutely in a fog. And that's, I guess the one thing I feel good about is that I knew that I was in a fog. So I decided I needed to learn about Alcoholics Anonymous, alcoholism and decided to go to the experts, which is meetings of AA. Now, those of you who've got 30 or 40 years sobriety, remember the old days when the meetings were filled with smoke. You sat in the back. If you sat in the back, you couldn't see the speaker. Uh, the room was so full. I would come home at night and my wife would say, take off your clothes and leave them outside. You smell. Uh, it was a, a, a very different experience. But what really changed my life was five years later, 1980, a member of my parish who had seven years sobriety uh, walked into my office and said, Ward, you're the spiritual expert, right? I don't think I answered that. He went on and said, I'm out of touch with God. The last time I was out of touch with my higher power, I drank. If I drink again, I may die. I need you to put me back in touch with God. Well, I had enough sense again to know I couldn't do that. Uh, and, and so we, we talked then and talked again and a couple of days later and decided what we needed was a group of members of AA who had at least five years sobriety and were struggling with some of the spiritual issues in their life. And we started meeting on Tuesday afternoon and for the next five years until I, I moved from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I met with that group every day, every week, and the spiritual expert's life was transformed. Uh, that's where I began to learn the steps. That's where I began working the steps. I've always considered Willie my first sponsor um, and my, my ministry, my life, everything about me has been transformed by this program for the good. It's been good for my, my marriage. It's been good, I think, 
for my fathering of my children. Uh, it's certainly been effective in terms of my work as a priest, and it's been a joy to be a part associated with this fellowship. Um, in 03, I was elected a trustee of the General Service Conference, General Service Board, and then in 09 was elected chair of the board for, and served that for four years and then retired and, and rotated and am now a trustee emeritus, which means I go to the meetings and tell them, we used to talk about that <laughs> uh, because the memory with rotation for the board is pretty, pretty short. So they want, want us old guys to come occasionally. Um, a little bit of my own story, my own emotional story, if you like, um, why this program connected so much for me and has done so much for me. Uh, as, a, as a teenager, I, I was a practically perfect teenager. I did all the things my folks wanted. I had good grades. I had a job. I saved enough money to pay my first year of college. Of course, it was cheaper then. Uh, I uh, was a all-county basketball player, and I was miserable. I felt absolutely isolated and alone. I felt like no one knew or cared about me, that they stood around and applauded me and said, aren't you wonderful? Now let's win this game. Uh, and, and it was really, I thought a lot about suicide. I felt like my life had no meaning and no worth, and I had no worth. Uh, and, uh, it was really pretty, a pretty horrible experience. And there was only one kind of good piece of that. And this is where the church came in, uh, in the summer, I went to church camp where I was accepted. Nobody knew all my wonderful achievements and they just accepted me as a, as a child of God, who's beloved of God. And slowly, I think that saved my life, that, that I began to realize I have worth, even if I can't figure it out. Um, and uh, so uh, symptomatic of that today, I have no friends from high school or from college that I keep up with. I have many friends that I still see from those summers at, at camp. Uh, and they come over and stay with us for a week, usually most summers. Uh, what the church taught me is that I have worth, that I'm lovable, and that I'm loved. What AA taught me was what gave me was a program that really frees me from the bondage of self more than any other program that I've ever known. Part of, you know, it's hard to be a practically perfect teenager and be honest. <clears throat> so I developed a pretty good skill at lying. And uh, rigorous honesty is just my theme and has been now for years. It is so much easier <laughs> than trying to keep an image up. Uh, it's, it's really quite wonderful. Uh, this, this program has been integral in my spiritual development and has continued to be so. Uh, the book that I just, that's actually coming out today uh, called 12 Steps to Religionless Spirituality, uh, The Power of Spirituality with or Without God, uh, is, is sort of, well, when I was trying to, people asked me to write the book, and I was trying to figure out what to do, and I finally said, well, what I need to do is to share my 
my own experience, strength and hope. That's what we do. And so it's a book that sort of does that, I hope. And I hope it will be helpful to some people. Um, but it uh, again reflects my own development in the last few years as I try to understand what do we mean by God? What do we mean by spirituality? What do we mean by spiritual transformation? All of these topics that are so important to us. Let me say as a non-alcoholic, I do recognize that there are some differences among us. I have not known the hell that many of you, maybe most of you knew before you got to this program. Uh, a teenager thinking about suicide is a serious thing, but it's not quite at the level of the despair that many, most in this program seem to have experienced before they got here. Um, and my spiritual practice is not as obviously a matter of life and death. Uh, as Willie said, if, if, if I can't be in touch with my higher power, if I can't somehow be spiritually connected, I may drink again. To, to be in that situation, a life and death situation to work on your spiritual program. Uh, I think mine is equally life and death, but it's not as obvious. Uh, and it doesn't happen as quickly as folks who, who who walk out of the rooms for a while. So I told Mark we'd talk a little bit about uh, the power of spirituality. And, and in some ways, that's what I hope this book is about. Um, but before we get into the power of spirituality, I think I need to make a clear distinction between religion and spirituality. Most of, we often hear people say, I'm not, I'm spiritual, not religious. Well, to define spirituality as not religion, uh, so is basketball. Well, maybe, maybe in the South, football is a religion, but uh, not hockey in the South, that's in the North. Uh, anyway, uh, now I'm getting myself messed up. Uh, but to define spirituality as something that it is not, is not much of a definition. So. Let's first of all make the distinction between religion and spirituality, and then I want to try to look at, at spirituality, what it is, and then look a little bit at 12-step spirituality uh, as we experience it. This is an outsider's view, and that has good things, and it has some maybe not so good things. So take, it, what's, take what's helpful to you, and please just ignore everything else, uh, and maybe we'll have some Q&A at the end of this to uh, where you may have some questions. Religion, institutionalized religion, has a set of beliefs. And if you believe them, then you can be in. And if you don't believe them, then you're probably not going to be in. Uh, even churches that don't use the word dogma have a set, set of beliefs that, that members should follow. There's also an organized structure with a hierarchy. I love it that AA is not to be organized. <clears throat> That's one of my favorite parts about this fellowship. And we've been pretty successful with that. Uh, but in the church is an organized structure with a often hierarchical and, and in most denominations, Christian denominations dominated by males. Um, there's a regulated style of worship. Uh, we've in the, in the Episcopal church, Anglican church, we follow the book of common prayer. Uh, and there are expectations about sermons, usually around the length. 
there and that they should be a little entertaining. There are um, uh, ethics, things that are right, things that are wrong. And if in many denominations, that feels like a kind of ethics of perfection to me. Uh, oh, if you don't know the book, Ernie Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum, Spirituality of Imperfection, let me recommend that to you. That's a fabulous, fabulous book. Uh, we can come back to that if you'd like. There's, there are clear boundaries of who's in and who's out in, an, in a church, and there's uh, constant demands for financial support. Spiritual, on the other hand, is broad, it's inclusive. Spiritual, I like to define spiritual realities as all those things that affect our lives that we cannot see or touch. That means things like love, resentment, hope, anger, peace, anxiety, serenity. Those are what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual realities. They are present for all human beings and there are no boundaries about who's spiritual and who's not spiritual. There's no in-groups and out-groups. Spiritualities are not shared through doctrine or teaching, but are shared by sharing one story. The only way that I can share with you why this program means a lot to me is by sharing something of my story, of my teen years, of my ministry, and of uh, how wonderful this fellowship has been. Uh, I'm probably best known in the United States in, in the service structure as the chair who didn't like to have the Lord's Prayer, at, particularly at open meetings. Um, I got in trouble regularly with that statement, but I think we have got to keep religion out of AA because once we get in and there's a right way and there's a fixed way and there's an organization, um, I think we're in trouble. And the place we begin to be in trouble, first of all, is with the newcomer. When the person first walks through the doors of AA, I've only met one who said I had a really strong faith in God, but I just couldn't manage to make it work. Everybody else that I've ever talked with about their relationship with God before they came to, into AA was pretty negative or nothing. Many have been judged by the church. Many have been shamed by the church. Um, and to hear God talk when they walk in is really difficult. We, we just can't add a ritual of saying the Lord's Prayer together and expect newcomers uh, to, to come back. And we've hear stories about people who came who were turned off by the religion, but eventually had no other place to go and came back. But more often, more often, we don't hear those stories. If they came and went away, we don't know what happened. And that's what really bothers me a lot. Also, let's, be, let's get really clear. AA is open to anyone who desires to stop drinking. That's it. That's the only criteria for membership. That's why I'm actually not a member. Um, the, uh, uh, that, that means there is no theology of God. Atheists, agnostics, free thinkers are welcome. Jews, Muslim, uh, non-religious are welcome. Religious fundamentalists are welcome, though I have a harder time with them. Uh, and uh, anyone who desires to stop drinking. So let's keep, particularly for open meetings, where you think a new person's coming, uh, let's keep, the rel keep religion very distinct uh, from the spirituality of, of AA. One of the 
one of my gripes. The uh, pamphlet that I pushed very hard to be, bring out that the year after I rotated as chair came came out called the Path to Spirit Multiple Paths to Spirituality. That's not what AA is about. We're not about paths to spirituality. We're about paths to recovery. The pamphlet I think is a great is a very fine pamphlet, but the title really just turns me off and and concerns me a little bit. What we're talking about is multiple paths to recovery, not to spirituality. We live in a secular age, and I think our secular age makes a couple of mistakes uh, about spirituality. Uh, first of all, because we're secular and tend to associate spirituality with God, um, we underestimate its power. Uh, and I think this is sometimes true in AA as well, that, that if the spirituality is associated with God, we better be careful about underestimating the power of that spirituality. And we get folks who, in AA, a lot of people don't like the word spirituality getting thrown around. I've experienced this in conversations with many, particularly those among atheists, agnostics, and free thinkers. They think spirituality is a way of sneaking in religion. Uh, I want to be as clear as I can that that's not what I intend. And, and I hope that we can all begin to understand that spirituality and religion are quite different. Spirituality then is the way we respond to all those things that are spiritual that affect us. It's a way our lives are organized so that certain responses and results become characteristic. Uh, it may include intentional efforts or it may include unconsidered responses. One's spirituality may be conscious or unconscious. It can be understood as experience and principles that guide us but it's, it's a part of who we are. I'm gonna break that down in just a minute. What I wanna to say to, the secular, to our secular age is that spirituality is powerful and it works. And there's no group that shows that more clearly than the AA and the 12 steps of AA. Um, you, you may be aware of, of Hazelden has, for many years has had a match study that they followed and is consistently showed that AA is the most successful, that 12-step spirituality is the most successful long-term treatment for addiction, alcoholism. Uh, but probably the most important thing that happened last year is a study from the Cochrane Foundation, uh, which involved several hundred different studies, several thousand. Anyway, I, I, I should have looked that up. Uh, but it is uh, the, the, the most scientific study of, this, of recovery, and it is quite clear that Alcoholics Anonymous is the way for full for long-term recovery against all of the other ways that they looked at. Um, it works. Spirituality is powerful. And in our secular age, we keep, people don't believe it, you know? I think <laughs> it's really kind of funny. Uh, people look at AA and say, well, that's some kind of spiritual kooky group, uh, outsiders, not those who know. Um, but it is a power that transforms lives and brings health and healing and wholeness. So a few observations from a friend 
who is observed not as a member, but as one who has observed and studied and been strengthened and changed by this spirituality. So I want to share some observations here for the next few minutes. First of all, spirituality is a combination of three. How do we, how do we, what, what do we mean? How do we become spiritual? And, and since we're all spiritual, uh, it's, it's a combination of three things that we do. Perception, feelings, and choices. So perception varies from each person to person. A wonderful story. Uh, two men walking through Times Square, and one of them from a rural western state, and the other a New Yorker. And as they're walking through Times Square in the middle of the day, the, the man from Arizona says, I hear a cricket. And the New Yorker with him looked at him and said, you can't hear a cricket. That's not possible to hear a cricket in this, in this noise. He goes away, he looks through a couple of the planters and sure enough, he finds a cricket. And the, and the New Yorker says, that's amazing. How do you, what kind of hearing do you have? And he says, no, it's not about hearing, it's about what you hear. He said, let me show you. So he reached in his pocket, pulled out the change that was in his pocket, dropped it on the sidewalk, and a half a dozen people stopped and looked. Uh, we are trained from our history to, to perceive certain things. And, it, and it's largely based on our likes, our dislikes, our fears, our hopes, our experience, our history. Um, What's the difference in somebody being lazy and laid back? The difference is, the difference is in who's doing the perception and how the perceiver feels about the person. If I like the person, then they're laid back. And if I'm not very fond of the person, then they're probably lazy. Uh, that's the way perception works. It's guided by, by the spirituality of who we are. And the feelings, uh, are an important piece of, of that. How do we feel about things? And when we live our lives with resentment and blame, we have absolutely put blinders on our perception and we're not gonna see the world. One of the things that's so wonderful and, and important in this fellowship is to live in the world as it is, not as we would try to create it and uh, doing the world on the world's terms. Um, that's a change in spirituality that takes those blinders that came from my resentments, from my blame, from my desire to be, be the practically perfect person, my desire to not give up alcohol. All of those feelings are, affect how we see things and, and are a component of our spirituality. And those feelings change as we grow spiritually in one way or another. And finally, there are choices. Most of our choices are unconscious, are simply automatic reactions. When somebody says, criticizes me for something that I have done, my immediate response is to defend myself. I think that's generally true of most human beings. Uh, when, uh, uh, when I have to make a choice, uh, in fact, there's been some really interesting contemporary work on the way human beings make choices and brain studies. And, and to simplify it, um, what is leading the way is an understanding that in evolution, 
human beings had to react quickly. When a saber-toothed tiger is coming down the trail, you don't need to sit there and analyze all of the possibilities of what might happen, what it ought to do, what they ought, what he's going to do. How, you just need to get out of there. And so you make a quick decision. And in fact, our brains have been programmed so that we make quick decisions. Uh, we don't consider all the, uh, in fact, we can't. Uh, there's some basic research lately that says human being, a single human being cannot know truth because we're going to take shortcuts to the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. Uh, and so one of the things we like to do with that then when we get bad results is to blame somebody else uh, or carry a resentment for how many years. Uh, Part of what's been wonderful for this program to me, uh, I was the dean at General Seminary in New York City for 12 years. When I left, my successor did things I would never have done and which I would oppose in every possible way. Um, I've let it go. I can talk about it. Our, the staff I had together was a great staff. We get together every year now for a great party. Uh, I don't think I could have done that without the way this program has taught us to leave, let go, to deal with resentment, to share it, but be done with it. Uh, that one of the things I have to accept is that the past is past and I can't change it, even though I keep trying to. Uh, it's, uh, uh, and so we go through life, uh, weaving together this pattern of perception based on feelings, based as a result of our choices, based on feelings, as a result of our, our perception. And there's a kind of, each of us is different. Everyone has a spirituality. All human beings have spirituality. It's like health. It may be good health or bad health. It may be a spirituality that is positive and brings new life, or it may be a spirituality that is negative, leads to isolation and, and despair. But we all have spirituality, like health, good or bad. So, AA spirituality differs from any other spirituality that I am aware of. And that's because its basis was on what works. Its basis uh, from that first meeting with Bill and Bob is... We're, we're discovering something that works, that helps us stay sober. And that grew to where we have the 12 steps and the traditions. Uh, it, it's pragmatic. If this works, this is a part of our program. If this doesn't work, it's not a part of our program. I don't know of any other spirituality that does that, including the whole idea about God. So we go to God as we understand him, not any theology thereof. Um, and there are things that are particularly important that I would like to reflect on just a little. Um, the first and most obvious thing about AA is we meet. Uh, and uh, I'm reminded of a uh, when Hurricane Sandy came into New York was the weekend of the board meeting and of the uh, international meeting as well. Um, Sunday night, we had the shortest board meeting on record. On Monday morning, those of us who could leave got away, but those who couldn't, many of them being international delegates, uh, 
were stuck in the hotel uh, in Westchester. All power was gone. All communication was gone. And there they were in the hotel stuck. Um, that evening, and it, the hotel had opened its doors to the workers who were coming in trying to restore power, clean up some of the trees, the damage that had been done. And, and uh, that evening, one of the workers who had been working all day long and was really irritable, walked into the hotel and, and started ranting and raving about how awful things were and why there wasn't any light and there's no phones, there's no nothing. And, and uh, looked at this group of people that were sitting over in the lobby and said, what the hell are you doing here? And they said, well, we're members of AA. We're here for the board meeting and for the international uh, gathering. And uh, he said, oh, I could use a meeting. And they found a book. They found some candles. They found uh, uh, a couple of flashlights that sort of worked. And they had a meeting. And when the meeting was over, uh, the workers was much more relaxed and serene. I wouldn't say from what people said that he was transformed totally, but it was a different person. Uh, and and that experience is, is just, that's what happens in meetings. Uh, he needed that fellowship, that support, that people to listen, and the recognition that the problems he was fussing about were not nearly as, as big as the problem he had, uh, had overcome to the support of this fellowship. Um, that's what happens when a person comes to their first meeting. You, you know, there's, our culture does not honor people who need help. Maybe Ireland's better about that than we are, but in the United States, independent perfection is the gold. Um, so to walk in and say, my life has become unmanageable is, a, is a, a major step in personal spiritual transformation. And it happens within the group where there are people who say, yeah, we've been there. Uh, here's my phone number. Give me a call. Uh, what is this power uh, that's in the group? Well, every group has a culture. Present, present day business theory likes to study the culture of a, of a business because if the culture is not in conformity with the productive goals, there will be problems. I had a friend in, in college, went to work for a construction firm, got there early, worked hard, continued to work a couple of times through lunch, uh, left late, and one of the construction workers came over to him and said, you know, the way we do that here is, is we get here when it's time to get here and we leave when it's time to leave. And if a project's not quite done, it's okay. And, and my friend understood the culture of that group of workers was to follow the law, to follow the, not necessarily to get the work done. That's the way cultures work. Well, in my experience in AA, uh, the culture is, is one of acceptance, of honesty, of accountability, of truthfulness, of gratitude, of love and tolerance. And that culture is very powerful. By the time someone's come to two or three meetings, they are being transformed by the power of that culture. Uh, and it is able to do what nagging friends 
spouse, psychologist, strong will, and righteous religious are unable to do. It is able to transform the lives of those who are, who are, who are looking for a new life because the one they have has become unmanageable. Many in AA refer to the spirit of this group, the culture, the spirit of the group as, as God. Others would prefer to refer to it as an esprit de corps, as the culture, as, as the way the group functions. Uh, my sense is that all of those folks experience the power of this group and whether they want to name it God or name it or, or not name it God or leave it as a higher power, which is, uh, it certainly is a power that is given freedom to their lives. Uh, then it doesn't matter. The experience is what really matters. Uh, so there's a power in the in the group that gathers that transforms lives and i don't think we need to name the power i like higher power or H, or even just hp uh, because it is a power greater than i am that helps me become who i really want to be another area that for me has been so critically important is rigorous honesty um, as I said, that first step, when one comes into the meeting and says, I'm powerless, I need help, is a beginning of, of, of honesty that they have been denying up until then. I'm sure y'all understand, our world does not honor honesty. This is particularly true for clergy. Um, you know, people in congregations want their clergy to be good. They don't want them to be honest and be careful how much you're honest with people. It's, uh, it's, it's tricky. Uh, and for somebody who had a problem of wanting to be the most admired of all people, this was a, a real trap for me. And the, this fellowship where, in fact, the thing that trans, I think first transformed my life with this little group of, of, of men in, on Tuesday afternoon, uh, and it was all men, um, was the, the experience of a, of a group that expected honesty. And, it, and it, nobody talked about it. They just did it. And if I was being a little phony, they challenged me. And while I came to understand that they didn't care what I'd done or what I thought or what I believed, they just cared that I'd be as honest as I could with it. That is an incredibly freeing experience for clergy. And I've since worked with a, a variety of clergy to try to help set up some groups. And I discovered that if a clergy person wants to have a group that will be a support group, they need an alcoholic in it. Because I, members of AA have a great BS detector and it's wonderful for a group. It's essential, it's wonderful for me, it's essential for the alcoholic to be rigorously honest. It's all of that, previous lying, deceit, lying to self, denial, twisting the world that, that is a part of the spirituality of, of, of self that has led to continued drinking. Um, rigorous honesty is essential if one is to stay sober. Uh, I think Bill says that. I should have written this quote down too, but it's in, in how it works that, that we read that those who can't be honest 
are are not likely to succeed. Uh, it's it's essential, and it's worked out in steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. By the time you get through those, you know something about honesty, and honesty for yourself, particularly when they're done with a sponsor, and then again get to repeat them again and then again. It is this spirit of rigorous honesty that is freeing and a part of the power of this spirituality that brings a spiritual transformation. And then at another level, it's the honest sharing of self that connects with the newcomer and with others in the group. Uh, a friend of mine who was a, a business executive tells his story and always refers to the bottle he kept in the file drawer next to his desk. And there's nearly always some smiles between, not that everybody had a file drawer with a, with a bottle in it, but everybody had a place that they kept a bottle, whether it's in the back of the toilet or behind the stove, or behind the furnace or, or under the seat of the car, there, we have to keep a supply. And, and the, just that honest sharing is what connects and people say, yes, I know that. And, and they hear that honest sharing and they're seeing someone who is happy, joyous, and free. And that first hope begins to emerge. Even in the structure of AA, uh, seeking of truth as opposed to imposing a political opinion is central, that we have to have two thirds to, to, to uh, get a group conscience, uh, that we talk until we get there. Uh, let me tell you, administering being the chair at conference with the amount of talk that we do with a hundred people each of whom has an opinion uh, it it in the beginning it was so tiring and then i realized my job was not to try to help the group find the agree or get there my job was to was to keep the conversation going so that uh we would find a, a, a group conscience. Uh, that takes a lot of talk, takes a lot of time. It's not very efficient, but it's part of the spirituality of this program that says rigorous honesty is a way of life. Uh, another uh, reflection, if you like, uh, sharing our stories. Uh, sharing of stories is central in AA, whether it's in a discussion group or or in the in a uh, speaker meeting. Uh, people are going to share their own experience, their own story, their own way, um, and that's how we share our spirituality. It's in sharing of the story. Uh, if you ask me what's important to me. Uh, the only way I can really answer that is by sharing stories where something that's important to me has played an important function. Um, and the stories in AA tend to be a movement from despair and chaos to a new life. And so the, the, the identity of the person and the identity of the group become aimed at this new life. Um, identity and story are, are deeply connected. Uh, that's part of why I can't begin talking about the steps without talking about my own teen years, my own look at suicide, my own 
trying to be practically perfect because it is this program that transformed that for me. And, and that's why it's important to me. So that's how I can share something of the spirituality of this program. Uh, I have a group that I helped found here in, in uh, East Tennessee. Uh, we're a very rural county. We had one, one group that was meeting. And so we needed another and we got another one. Uh, and I go, I don't go every week. I think it's in, inappropriate for a non-alcoholic to be there all the time. But I go uh, regularly, every two or three weeks. And I remember we had a, a young man, I'll call him John, uh, who this is a discussion meeting and he would sit there and never said a thing. He was there on a court order. Uh, and for weeks, he just came, sat, got his order signed and left. And I, I happened to be there the day that he first spoke. And he simply said, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic. That's enough for now. And you could feel in the whole room a sense of, well, thank goodness. We, we, I, he's he's going to make it. And in fact, I was there when he was uh, sharing his own story. Um, and he talked about all the chaos that he had lived through with a, with a level of humor, uh, as is usually the case in AA. We have a lot of humor, and that's wonderful because it takes care, reduces the shame, and it, it puts it in the proper perspective. Um, but it was mostly about how things were, and then that he got arrested and has been coming to this meeting. It was much later at a different meeting where he was the speaker and I was able to be present. And he talked about making amends to his boss. And he, he talked about how this spiritual program made that, he didn't want to do it. His uh, uh, sponsor said, you have to do it if you want to stay sober. And so he went to his boss who was very aware that he had, had been pretty unproductive. And he said when it was over, they had suddenly had a new relationship and it was it built on trust and he was so felt freer than he had and fuller than he had had for years um but that sharing so so he moved from how it was to what happened to how it is now and here's a person with a whole new identity and he got there by sharing his story in a group that wanted rigorous honesty where love and tolerance is our code that's the power of this program. And lastly, um, I wanna talk a little bit about service. And let me share with you a story from my friend Howard, who's, who, who lives near here and his first 12 step call. His sponsor had called him up and said, you're going with me. And he, Howard said, where am I going? He says, well, we're going to make a 12 step call. And Howard, uh, I, I will uh, call his friend Jim and, and the person they called Fred. So they went out to Fred's house, which was well out in the country. And they knocked on the door and Fred said, come in. And Fred was sitting in a recliner and it was the only piece of furniture in the whole, whole room. And he had a shotgun across his lap. And Jim said, uh, Fred, what's with the shotgun? He said, I'm, I'm protecting my stuff. And Jim said, you haven't got any stuff. Fred said, looked around, oh, okay, and laid the shotgun down on the floor. And then Jim looked at my friend Howard and said, you're on. Howard shared his story. Jim shared his story. 
Fred sort of, and then they ended by saying, uh, we're on our way to a, an AA meeting and would be happy to take you if you would like to come. And, and uh, uh, Fred said, well, I, I see that y'all need that, but I don't really need that, that kind of help. I'm, I'm doing fine. And they left. Uh, Howard looked at, at Jim and said, do you think any good will come out of this? And Jim said, good has come out of it. We're, we're sober another day. That story has so many different levels of, of help to me anyway, in terms of how do we do service? Um, first of all, we have to let go of the result of, of our desired results. If, if, if every alcoholic who ever went on a 12-step call expected the person to enter the program within the month, thought that was the most important thing, we wouldn't have any 12-step calls anymore <laughs> uh, because it's not that easy. It doesn't happen automatic, but there's also a personal benefit. And I think this reflects that service is so important to who we are as human beings. This is where I can kind of, I think, get, get preachy if I'm not careful. Uh, but what brings life and fulfillment and a sense of meaning to our lives is, is service. But it's very discouraging. And one of the things that helps it happen that I've learned from this fellowship is to let go of the desire of my desired results. I do what I can do, and then I let it go, and and leave it in the hands of the person to do something. I'm reminded. I recently was, uh, well, not real recently, but not long ago, was reading some of material from Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the phrases that he used that he didn't use a lot in his sermons, but it was in, in his speeches but it fits here so well. Someone asked if he was optimistic about what was gonna happen with the civil rights movement. And he said, no, I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful. He was hopeful because he had seen change that had happened. He was hopeful because he himself had experienced a kind of change, but he wasn't optimistic that the world was gonna change. I, I thought, boy, does that ever hit it on the head. And so when we, a person goes out for a 12 step call, I think they're hopeful but not particularly optimistic. And I think that makes a great deal of sense. And it's taught me how to do service. There's a lot more I could talk about. I, I wanna leave some, a little time anyway. Um, other spiritual characteristics, parts of this spirituality, anonymity, self-support, being non-professional, never organized, listening, financial practices, not endorsing any movement or outside entity, and autonomy. There's so much more that is a part of this spirituality, but these are the, the, the things that kind of have been really important for me. Uh, so let me close by talking a, a little bit about God for since that's this group is free thinking. Uh, From a theological point of view, all talk about God is metaphor. The beginning premise theologically about God is that we do not understand God. We cannot understand God because our view, if we have an understanding, is too small. 
that God is larger and beyond every view that, that exists. I end up personally uh, kind of intrigued with the mystical views of God, which somehow incorporates God into creation and into all things. Um, I also, in my practice, I think I'm pretty metaphorical uh, and do this sort of traditional practice, but I understand that God is not some sort of male figure up in heaven who's going to intervene and make everything okay if I'm a good guy. Let's get rid of that. Uh, and so what I would like, what I do in, in AA is, a, is probably heresy. AA heresy, can you have an AA heresy? I hope not. Uh, when I hear God of our understanding or God as we understand him, I translate that in my own brain, own mind and say, God of our experience, because I think it is this experience of the higher power that has transformed our lives that has brought a new way of living uh, is what we're talking about when we're talking about God. Uh, and it's the experience between those who have a belief in God and a traditional deity and the experience of those who do not is pretty much the same. And my, my experience in this fellowship is that I have grown and learned so much from my atheists, agnostics, Jews, and Buddhists who are part of this fellowship. Uh, maybe more than I've learned from my own denomination. Uh, it's, uh, there are a few people there that, are, that I go with too. So. Uh, but it, it's experience that is the commonality. And so I like to just translate it, God of, our, God of my experience, higher power of my experience, power of my experience that changes my life, power I experience that changes my life. Okay, let me close. And I'm going to close with a story, if I can find it, because this, again, is a piece of, of this fellowship that's so important. So the disciples to a rabbi uh, came to him and said, in the Talmud, it says that we must thank God as much for the bad days as for the good. How can that be? What would our gratitude mean if we gave it equally for the good and the bad? And the rabbi replied to them, go to Anapal and see Rabbi Zusha. He will have that answer for you. I cannot answer it. So they went to Anapal, inquired for Rabbi Zusha, went, found that he lived on the poorest street in the town. As they went down the street, they found his tiny shack between two kind of small rundown houses. When they entered, Rabbi Zusha was sitting at the bare table reading a volume by the light of a small window. And he said, welcome. Please pardon me for not getting up. I've hurt my leg, but would you like some food? I have some bread and there's water. No, they said, we've come to ask you a question. Our rabbi told us that you might help us understand. Why do our sages tell us to thank God as much for the bad days as for the good? Rabbi Zusha laughed. Me? I have no idea why the rabbi would send you to me. He shook his head in puzzlement. You see, I have never had a bad day. Every day God has given me is filled with miracles. And every day that God has given me in this fellowship, I have seen and experienced miracles. And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ward. 
That was a very good talk, very good, very interesting. Uh, particularly taken by the start of your talk, where your story at the very beginning was very much like any of our stories, except that you you found the church for roughly where we found alcohol, by the sound of it. And right. uh, I don't know, I don't know how it would have gone for you had you taken up alcohol. You're a well, big I tried. Guy. You could probably I, have handled it. Yeah, actually, I tried alcohol. Uh, yeah. I was a pretty heavy drinker in college and in seminary. Right. Spent every every quiet day, every holiday at McSorley's old alehouse, if any of y'all know New York, um, and uh, passed out on the campus a couple of times, but it didn't work for me, which is part of why I have an absolute belief that this is a, is a disease. It's not, about, it's not about your practice. It's not about you drank too much or, I mean, I did all the things, but I just got tired of it. I never even thought about quitting. I just quit. Isn't that strange? Yeah, that's strange. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kept uh, going back for more. And, uh, I, you know, I persevered. Right. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, I didn't find an alternative. You know, it became the path of least resistance. You know, I, I lost the, the agency to do anything about the, the, the state I was in. You know, I just kept going back doing the same thing again and again. But, uh, you, you know, I was in, that was interesting. You brushed on, I think, some of Daniel Kennyman's work there where you about the thinking fast and making the decisions, you know, that we think right. are automatic. I find right. that very inter interesting. Yes. And, uh, that yeah, is it was my story. Pretty good listening to you. Uh, I heard about you about seven years ago. I was at a meeting in London, and there's one atheist agnostic meeting in, in London, in Islington, and we go for coffee after the meeting. And... Uh, there was a guy there, David, his name was, I can't locate him on Zoom, I don't know why, but uh, he asked me if I'd heard of Ward Ewing, and uh, it was um, it was just to do with our meeting, because like it seemed like we had nobody batting for us at all, you know, that every seemed, right. everybody seemed to be against our, our wing of AA, you know, and he pointed out that you were somebody who, who was more or less on our side, or at least made an allowance for us, you know. Right, well, I, yeah. that's probably when I was attending the conference. Uh -huh. your conference and and did my little spiel about i think the lord's prayer doesn't belong in the aa meetings got me in trouble most places yeah, well you'd need to come to ireland and tell them that because the lord's prayer is still in the majority the vast majority of meetings uh, yeah. i think in, in ireland they certainly are here in county sligo where i am and I went, I meant to wish you a kid, Mila Falcha, when he came in, but I, 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 I forgot, I forgot altogether, you know. But uh, anyway, um, I'm going to throw the meeting open now. If anybody wants to put their hands up, I'll call on you as I see the hands come up. Thanks very much again. Ah, there we go. Elise, you're first. I'm trying to, un oh, okay, did it. Hey, um, thank you. Um, thank you, Don. I'm Elise, I'm in recovery. I wanna be really polite, <laughs> but this was a shocker. Um, I've been, I've come to a lot of meetings, a lot of speaker meetings over many years, and I've never heard anything like this. Every share, every speaker, as I was instructed in AA, shared experience, strength, and hope. No crosstalk, 
We share our own experience. I do. Um, I am surprised that I'm hearing what makes me an alcoholic. I'm surprised I'm hearing what spirituality is and isn't. Um, it was very difficult to listen to being told stuff. There are places I'll go. I like education. I've gone back to school a number of times to study different things. And there I expect to be told a lot of stuff. Um, in AA meetings, I listen to shares. I learn a whole lot by listening to other people's experience. Nobody is, that I can recall has ever told me what I'm supposed to be feeling, what I'm supposed to be experiencing or what I have experienced. Um, I share my experiences, other people share their experiences and I learn from that. Um, it was just really, really difficult and I really had to leave for a while. Um, and it wasn't, I don't know if it was the information or if it was the way it was presented, but it's just so foreign to me to hear a lecture in AA. Um, so anyway, thanks for letting me share. Okay, thank, thank you. Lee. Uh, thank you, Lee. I, I, was trying to share my own experience, strength, and hope. Uh, I may do it more as a theologian, and it obviously didn't come across to you, and that critique I will take very seriously for future presentations. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ward. Thanks, Ward. Jeb, you're up next. Yes. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> my name is Jeb, and I'm a grateful recovered addict alcoholic, and this is day 15,725, and I say that because that's the way I live life, and that's the way that I, you know, a day at a time, uh, I, I drank, a day at a time, I don't drink, because I found the power and, and the encouragement, the support to do what I've been doing for, for 43 years plus. Uh, I love this share today. I heard you speak at one of the conventions several years ago. I don't know if it was um, San Antonio or where it was, but I've, I've always admired and appreciated your commitment to the recovery movement of Alcoholics Anonymous and your pragmatic uh, approach and understanding to uh, the spiritual life. and what you shared today, I thought was wonderfully personal. I thought it was wonderfully, uh, well, I guess it, it confirmed some of my biases, really. <laughs> and, you know, I, in my version of, of the third step discipline, which was the, the third step prayer, I asked that I be relieved of the, of, of the bondage to self-limiting and, and destructive attitudes, emotions, ideas, opinions, understandings, and yearnings that stand in the way of my usefulness, happiness, joy, and freedom. And I, I use that, the complete form of that, as my reminder of the path that of recovery that I found when I finally made my way to AA. And uh, for me, it was kind of, that first room was like, like the Me Too movement. 
I, I heard the storytellings and I said, me too. I'm not crazy. I'm an alcoholic. And this, this path that Bill Wilson set down in er, his early sobriety seems to have worked with, for me. And it worked for me because I came in after a life of being an evangelical charismatic Episcopalian and work, working for the church for, and I still worked for churches for 60 years, but I spent time in seminary that helped me to realize that a lot of the things that people read as fact were myth and coming out of oral tradition and so forth. But the best that people in those ages could could pass on as their understandings. But you reminded me also of something I heard when I first came to AA is that recovery is about growth in awareness. And over the years, AA, the process of the steps, the way that you're describing and so forth, has opened up my mind to see and hear things that I didn't see and hear before. And today, you know, I, I'm much more aware of the, the wonder of, of life the wonder of possibilities. I have, you know, I've always been frighteningly optimistic. It drove my parents crazy. So when you mentioned that, I thought that was very interesting. But but I really, I really, it's hopeful that re as bad as things might be, be, I can see good coming out of it, provided I make myself a part of the solution rather than the problem. Uh, I have no problem with the word spiritual or spirituality because when I was about six years old I was sitting in the one safe and secure place of my life as a child that was my grandmother's lap and I said grandma what does spiritual mean and she says it means non-material the things that you cannot see and touch and that's what the dictionary says too and so when Bill wrote in, in that that we had to concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic. This is the first step of recovery. I realized that my my spirituality, which is heretical perhaps, had to be reconnecting with my innermost self where this thing that some people call God exists and then improve, spend my life improving that conscious contact with that. So everything that you shared today just was, was just a great gift. And I'm looking forward to your book. Like I need one more book to explain. Right. <laughs> but thank you, Lord. That was just wonderful. And uh, I will, I'll be one of your customers. Thank you, Jeb. Thanks, Jeb, very much. Um, next up, Marsha, please. Hey, family. Marcia. Uh, alcoholic addict, my problem is Marsha. Um, Thank you all for being here. I um, I uh, thanks for everybody being of service, and um, thank you very much for a very uh, powerful um, presentation, if you want to call it. I don't. I it's just a talk. Um, a few barriers got broken down. Like when I heard that uh, that you were going to be coming, I had already replanned my day. Like, what the hell do I want to listen to? Some reverend talk about whatever. You know, I I'm, I'm very very close minded that way. Um, for a lot of various reasons that <clears throat> since I found secular AA, I'm starting to get to the bottom of. Um, but I really didn't want to hear anything you had to say. Um, absolutely not. Um, uh, but uh, in uh, in listening with, to you, and, and, and so today was the day of doing something different, right? So my head is saying, my head is saying, you don't need that. Um, but but something in the pit of my belly is saying, oh, just 
for entertainment purposes. If nothing else, you can poke fun <laughs> at him at the end. At the end. If nothing else, you know, you can poke fun at him at the end, right? So, um, but um, you definitely opened up my uh, opened up my 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 mind to a few things. And um, one of the things that I really love about the program is the concept of open mindedness. And um, I get completely jealous and envious of people that can say things like "whatever you believe in, I don't care," or can have that stance of "this is me, that's you," completely separated, like it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I have a problem with the God word for, for, for trauma reasons. And, and people will say, you know, it's just a word. Why does it matter? I'm starting to understand why it doesn't matter now. But when I first came in, like, I'm like this broken soul with nothing but emotions and hormones, everything mattered to me at that point. So yeah, it it did matter if somebody said something different from what I did and whatever. I'm four years in now. Um, and it doesn't matter so much. Um, you know, and that's because the open-mindedness of the program I've learned to you know, go from, I don't want to hear anything you have to say to, to, I will turn my back and do what a toddler does. And I'm, I'm still listening, right? But, but I'm giving you attitude. <laughs> and, and hopefully I will become more of an adult. Um, but I do appreciate every, a lot of what you said today. Um, it really gave me something to think about. Um, and it's shown me that I'm growing because like, I don't want to throat punch you for talking. And, um, you know, I actually enjoyed, um, enjoyed being here. So um, thank you very much. You've, uh, you've definitely had an, uh, an influence on this alcoholic and, uh, um, and I do appreciate that. So I hope everybody's doing well. Keep your head out of your butt. Do the next right thing, family. Love you. Thanks, Marsha. That's great. And Bridget, you're up next, please. Hi, I'm Bridget. I'm a person in recovery. Thank you so much for being here, Ward. It's It was great listening to you. Um, so much of it resonated. Um, I should also mention I'm an atheist, but I'm a, also an Episcopalian. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm very used to hearing these kinds of talks, um, you know, where I know it's in, um, I'm a member of a church in New York City actually, but anyway, it's, so I'm used to that kind of thing. Um, and I, it's interesting, you said a couple of things that really resonated. One was the church camp, how it, you felt it saved your life. About 11 years ago, I, uh, it was a year after my grandmother died, I felt very at the end of my rope and really didn't want to exist anymore. And that's when I actually uh, let go of my resentment towards the Catholic church and um, decided to join a different denomination. And um, so I feel that it saved my life too. Although I don't consider myself, um, I'm an atheist, you know, I, I just, I always have been, but I really liked the community. That's what really made the difference. Um, and so I don't consider myself spiritual, knowing full well what it all means. Um, but I guess I call myself a seeker. And um, I do see the beauty in nature and people sometimes <laughs> and animals. Um, but I do feel uncomfortable with that word. I wish there was a different word, but maybe it's just, I don't know. It's just me, I guess. Um, and I understand uh, your book sales, uh, the, the funds will be going to recovery programs. I was curious about that. Um, I think that's very interesting. Um, I don't know if you want to speak on that, but, um, but yeah, I just appreciate you being here. And it seems very appropriate to me that a Episcopalian would be the one to call um, you know, to raise alarms about the Lord's Prayer being said in a non-religious organization, because I fully agree with it. It belongs in church. So anyway, that's enough for me. <laughs> Thank you uh, again. 
Yeah, briefly, uh, as I, I wrote this book, it's there's a lot of people ask me to write coming out of talks that I had given, mostly about God and spirituality. And uh, I thought, as I was writing the book, that I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm not an expert on AA. I'm really just trying to share my own experience, strength, and hope. Uh, but this program has been so important to my life it feels very uncomfortable to be making a profit from something which was freely given. And so I decided that I would take the receipts that I make from the book and divide them. Half of them are going to go to scholarships for church camp for children. And the other half are going to go to recovery ministries. Uh, and uh, AA won't accept my money, you know, because I'm not a member. So they have, so I've had to find some other recovery ministries, but, uh, and I'm on the board of one. So that's where it'll start anyway. And when I make millions, then I'll have to change my mind. Yeah. Thanks Ward. Uh, I won't accept our money either. Cause we're, we're on the outside as well. Oh, are you? Yeah. We're not accepted. Oh, I would accept it, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, We've got no um, specialist meetings allowed AA in Ireland. Officially, AA in Ireland won't um, affiliate any any sort of meeting that's in any way specialist. And that, that's something that I would love to ask people like you to try and influence uh, our, our AA fellowship, if, if it's possible in any way, to change the mind about that. Because there's no women's groups allowed here. There's no any sort of specialist group um, is allowed to affiliate hmm. with AA in Ireland. And that's changed in most other countries. Anyway, this is my... That's a, that's a real violation of our traditions that any one group that claims to be AA, if it's not just actually opposed, is a member. Yeah, well, it seems to be the spirit of the times in in, mm. a, in the AA structure and among the people who do service in, in structure. That's, that's what they... That's what they're doing. They don't... They won't accept any... Um, what they term specialist meetings. Yeah. But well, Roger... And, and Josie both have worked on that in Toronto yeah. and it's transformed. Yeah, hopefully we'll, so, do, we'll do the same here. So now I'll go on to Mike from Illinois. You're up next, please. Uh, well, thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Mike. I'm alcoholic. Uh, thank you, Ward. And um, I, I was a bit shocked. Uh, AA in Rockford just let us right in. <laughs> They said we were as good as anybody, and I was all ready for a fight and all ready for the problems, and they just said, come on in. So um, they've kind of been doing that to me the whole time, so I, I'm very lucky. Um, the, uh, the thing that uh, grabbed my attention, Ward, was the uh, your description of spirituality at the beginning there, and, and I liked it a lot. Um, my experience was I came into AA and they started talking about stuff and I and, and I believed then as I do now that anybody that believes in a God is mistaken. Um, not necessarily bad, but they, I just come to a different conclusion and I think they're mistaken. And I, I said, well, fine, they're mistaken, but they're sober. So what the hell are they doing here? And they're doing something and they kind of like some of this language. Why do they like it so much? What's in there that I'm missing? And, um, you know, I think this word spirituality, for me, I started thinking 
they're talking about something and they they don't have the words to say it. <laughs> they're going, we're, you know, we're doing this and we don't know how to say it right. And um, so I tried to understand what it was that was in there that they were doing that was working. And I finally came up with a definition that works for me. Um, um, spirit, you know, what part of the definition of spirit is, you know, um, kind of a mood and, and state of mind works really good for me. Because I would walk into an AA meeting in one state of mind and I would walk out in a different state of mind. And physically I was the same, but mentally something had changed and it had changed for the better. And that's kind of been the essence for me of what all that talk is about. Uh, changing this anxious fear, this craving for alcohol into gratitude for sobriety, into serenity. And um, I was thinking um, how a uh, how a mob with torches revving each other up are in a spirit and so is a uh, red cross nurse who's trying to comfort somebody regardless of his uniform she's in a different spirit and the word spirituality to me has a connotation of a better spirit in some way or another not the spirit of the mob but the spirit of that red cross nurse going from a from a a spirit that is not good for me to one that is better for me and for the people around me yeah, for, for anybody. So um, I think it is a difficult uh, thing to say in words, but somehow a lot of us seem to understand the meaning behind it, that word. And we describe it differently, but we seem to get it anyway. Um, that's, you know, spirituality is a path to something better somehow. Anyway, that's my thoughts. And uh, just speaking my piece. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Good to hear from you. And now we have another Mike. Mike from somewhere else, let me see. Yeah, Mike from New York City. Mike R. Okay, now, uh, <clears throat> my name is Mike, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, thanks, Ward, for your talk. Uh, <clears throat> very courageous to come to a, uh, a secular meeting uh, or a non-God meeting. Um, must be much easier for you to go to traditional meetings and talk about God where they're ready to really go for it. You know, so I, I tip my hat to you for your courageousness to come to the meeting and talk. And, you know, um, uh, just speaking for myself, I'm Agat Silbert, a meeting in Manhattan where we never really talked about, they never talked about God as more of a fellowship meeting, you know? And I, uh, after seven years though, I found my spiritual path, which is a Buddhist Buddhism, okay? I follow Sri Lankan Buddhist monks and I've been following them for 28 years now. And, um, that's just what I follow, you know, but it's like the words are the thing that, that gets people kind of riled up, you know, like the word God. 
Well, in AA, it can be like anything you decide, you know? What, I mean, okay, fine, you know? So like they say the doorknob or, you know, I mean, anything under the sun. You know, so I mean, I, I don't know how I could ever argue with anything like that because I don't even know what everybody in <laughs> not these squares here, but in squares and true. I was at a meeting last night actually, and I shared uh, I shared my truth. They were talking about the seventh step, you know, which is God, 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 God. So I, I shared my thing with I have a Buddhist perspective because I want to know what's really, you know, what's the true nature of this world is, which is everything's temporary, everything's changing, everything's fleeting. Everything's rising up and falling down, you know. I mean, I don't have to believe any of that stuff. You know what I mean? That's just, that's important to me. But I also, you're a very kind man, and you have a big heart. I can tell that. Uh, but when they when people say the word God, I mean, that's like a big word. Okay, that's not like uh, you know, like uh, tulip. You know, I mean, God is a big word, and, and you know, and, and it goes back to actually Carl Jung. He used, when the gentleman Roland came to him and said, you know, he said, I can't help you with that because it's too heavy, too big a thing. But maybe you could go hang out with some people who are kind and loving and, you know, maybe some kind of spiritual intervention could happen. And that, I think, is one of the cruxes of why AA works is because it's the connection we have. Even if we don't agree and that happens quite a bit. You know, it doesn't matter. Just coming together and being in Zoom here in all the faces and or being in a meeting with all the people around you, there's a certain power to that of going, being in a certain room for a particular reason, which means to stop drinking. But also then after you get sober, uh, you know, life, you, just, you come alive to life and you have to start dealing with life. And AA answers that too. But you know, we all find our, our different paths and everything. But, you know, I, I, I want to thank you um, for speaking because of your courageousness uh, to even try and talk, you know, because you're um, a man of God, you know. Um, and I'm, uh, you know, words really are dangerous and are also wonderful. So it's just like kind of like you were walking like a tightrope, you know, trying to be pleasing to the uh, atheists and agnostics and everything. I, I was watching the skill with which you were uh, performing that. And I really tip my hat to you on that too. Right, so thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Mike. I don't know if you want to say anything more or would we go on to the, another Mike? Mike K. Looks like we have the trifecta today. Yeah. Mike, alcoholic from Maryland in the U.S. Um, thank you, Reverend Ewing, for being here. Actually, this is the first time at this group, and I want to also tip. I want to tip my hats to the group itself. I don't really know the nature of the group yet, but in terms of just the free thinker aspect, that it's open up to, um, you know, to to all, all all you know, basically all points of view. And you know, I I grew up religious myself, and um, sort of became well agnostic in my late in my late uh, teens and pretty much maintained that position. But, um, you know, I've sort of the, the just, I mean, there's not anything in particular that you said, but just the general idea of spirituality, particularly the non-material aspect. Um, and also the, the concept of metaphor, you know, we're, we're, it's like, at least for myself, you know, I used to grapple so much. Like I felt like I had to have a handle on something in order to get help from it. 
And when I went into rehab five months ago, you know, basically I was disabused of that. And they basically said, they didn't say you had to believe a certain way, just that you had to be, you know, you had to be, I had to be willing to, 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 uh, to believe that, that that change can happen. And, you know, I would have thought as an agnostic that I would have been okay with uncertainty, but I really wasn't. I was reaching for, for certainty. That would stop <laughs> getting help. And, um, but, and, and even today, if you ask me to define spirituality or what's my higher power, I, I, I can't define it. And I don't, and I don't know, and I'll probably never know, although I can't say that, but, and that's, so I'm okay with it. You know, I'm willing to work the program and, you know, let things, I don't, I can't do it on myself. I'll do it on my own. 33 years of drinking told me that. So, and I'm okay. You know, basically I came to peace with that. Um, and, um, you know, staying, you know, staying sober one day at a time. Somebody else mentioned earlier, I've heard all that, um, that I can do to help myself um, and hopefully help someone else by sharing. So thanks again, Revenuing. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I think we had quality and quantity there. So we're, we're going over to a Jason now. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. Jason. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. I really enjoyed that. I was just riveting all the way through. Um, I was particularly impressed how you uh, you you mentioned the Cochrane Foundation, which is I don't know. That's probably about as close as I've got to a god or a higher power. And uh, I've been meaning to type uh, type recovery. Um, into their database and see what comes up but you've uh, you've clearly done it so uh yeah i will have to go home and do that well um yeah i'll try and be quick i've got to get back to work um i uh i i, I was really interested in that you said the idea of god as a metaphor as well i mean i've heard of um i've heard of this uh the stories in the bible etc being treated as metaphor but i don't think i've ever heard that before as a god is actually being a metaphor so it's uh that was very interesting i mean i'm an agnostic pretty much on the atheist end of the spectrum but um yeah so that's an interesting idea um what else was i gonna say yeah the um your concept concept of uh, spirituality as well was um sounded fairly close to mine i i think uh, the way I understood what you said. Um, I mean, I, the way I used to hate the word spirituality, it just used to reek of scented candles and all, all sorts of stuff like that. And, uh, uh, but now I, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I, I think, um, uh, the way I see it is I'm, I'm having a spiritual experience, whether I like it or not. Uh, it's just what, what the, what the quality of that experience is going to be, you know, what it's the, the work that I put into it. So, you know, I, you know, with the help of Tuznua and the uh, steps and everything else, and I'm, you know, I'm endeavouring to, uh, yeah, have a better time of it. And uh, yeah, I was going to say something about phenomenology and photons and protons and stuff like that, but I, yeah, now I've got to get back to work. So thanks, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, really enjoy. Oh yeah, I was, oh, yeah, forget it. All right, thank you. All right, bye bye. Thanks, <laughs> Jason. Yeah, that seems to be everybody. Um, uh, that was interesting comments. I, I was wondering there, perhaps we didn't 
make it clear enough that today was an open meeting, but perhaps that's no harm either, because I think I think you've 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 coped all right. So I, I can hand it back to you, Ward, if you'd like to finish. Well, I quote just a couple of thoughts from your comments. Uh, yeah. I don't think I'm being brave or courageous to meet with this group. Uh, I actually find my meetings with free thinking groups, secular groups, I'm more comfortable than when I get into a fundamentalist Christian culture. Uh, and, and that would, you may or may not know about Celebrate Recovery, which is a kind of a semi 12 step group that's going on in some of the churches. I've never had anything more uncomfortable than that. So, uh, and they would probably run me out on a rail um, because I, I, I anyway, I, I don't need to get in negative about that. But I, I think somebody said that it's the unity in this fellowship that more than anything else, and that's not about agreement. That is, that's a, and I think that's so, so, so important to, to listen to each voice, uh, to learn to love each person. One of the things I've learned in small groups in the church and in this fellowship is every person is somehow lovable. Some may be a little negative, but they're lovable. And what we need to do as we work on our relationships is find that lovableness in, in the other. And when that's, and, and this group does more talking and struggling and how do we get there? And they get there. It's, uh, I'm, I'm a little shocked that Ireland doesn't recognize you. I'm sorry about that, uh, but maybe I'll send you some money. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, that's the thing with, um, it's an, I'm not so surprised they don't accept us, but the fact that they don't even accept like a women's meeting, which I think is a very yeah. necessary, very necessary um, type of meeting to have. And then you might have meetings for doctors or specialist meetings for people right. that don't want to, you know, come into the local neighborhood very understandably. And it's, it's, it's obvious in America and England, those, those meetings work, but it's got into the psyche of, of the, the people in service in Ireland, like the people that are going to area and are going to intergroup and are going up to conference and so on. That seems to be their, it's on the tip of their tongue. No, no specialist meetings because, and the reasoning they give is that somebody might go to one of those meetings and be refused entry because they're not, you know, they don't, uh, because they're not a, a woman, for instance, or they're not LGBTQ or they're not something else. But in fact, that doesn't happen because those groups, you know, um, they would accept somebody if they came by mistake to start with. Right. They wouldn't turn somebody away in any, in any sort of a nasty way. I'm sure if a man turned up by mistake to a women's meeting, they'd probably get him to do the chair, you know, I mean, or do the do the, do the lead or whatever, you know, you call it. Uh, those things aren't going to happen. But I don't know how that that psyche is going to be changed in among the among the people doing service. I've heard different reasons for it. But I think that if we could get some sort of influence, you know, from other countries where where it's working well, but I don't know how to go about that because, yep. you know, I don't know who you're right to. There doesn't seem to be anybody to what, what, what I suspect you may need 
is stories. Mm. Stories are so powerful and share stories of people who went to doctor's meetings, to, to lawyer's meetings. Uh, I have a, this, this little group that I'm a part of. Uh, we had a, 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 an addict. If there's any rigidity in the States, it's, it's a group that don't want any addicts present. My experience in the local group is that's sort of not that important. If an addict comes and this is the only group that can be, they're welcome. Uh, but, uh, so this addict and her mother showed up and her mother was going to be sure she got there and got help. And boy, was our group kind. And they, they listened to her story and to the story and they got them meetings for Al-Anon and meetings for NA and, and got them referred. And I think that's what happens when somebody shows up at the wrong meeting. Absolutely. Uh, this fellowship is, is not judgmental. And uh, I think some stories, get a collection of stories from special meetings and touch people's hearts. I, I think trying to persuade people is very difficult. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But to get the right people to listen to those stories, that would be the yeah. challenge. Well, keep at it. Keep at it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because we need this secular AA as a part of AA as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So at this stage, Ward, I'll thank you very much for coming to talk to us. I, I enjoyed it, and it was lovely to meet you. Um, thank everybody who shared and uh, everybody else who took part in service. Um, so we finished, we finished the meeting with a moment of silence, a few moments of silence. <laughs>